Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and changemakers. Let's get started. All right, this is Kyle Brost and the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. Today, we have Cordia Harrington with us. Uh, And Cordia and I have had some conversations in the past where I've gotten to dive into her story and hear about her successes and her failures and her struggles. And she has one of the most fascinating stories and experiences uh, to share. So I'm really excited to have Cordia on and share her story, learn from her experiences. Cordia, welcome to the podcast. Do you mind giving us uh, just a quick intro to kind of who you are and where you're at right now? Hey, Kyle. It's great to be on your podcast today. Thanks so much for inviting me. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm in the bakery business. It's really my third entrepreneurial venture. And uh, now I've been in this business 20 years. Doesn't seem possible. (laughs) Started uh, in Russellville, Arkansas with a real estate and construction company. And Kyle, at that time, it took all of my life savings, just under $600, and I bartered for my office space, and I leased my desk and chair. The chair was $1.50 a month, and my desk was $3 a month from Burr's office machine, and uh, got into business. And the, uh, the business grew and grew, and... One of my customers that came along owned the McDonald's, and I didn't even know you could own a McDonald's. So from then, I learned about the wonderful world of McDonald's and applied to become a McDonald's owner-operator and moved to Effingham, Illinois in in 1990 to buy my first McDonald's. Do you know where Effingham is, Kyle? I do not. Okay, three hours south of Chicago, about an hour and fifth, an hour and a half uh, from St. Louis, sort of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but okay. people were great, and the restaurant was a pretty high volume store because it was right on the interstate. And um, I, I, I was a little uh, new to P and L statements. Uh, I, I, I'm sure some of your um, listeners can understand that. But at the time, I didn't know the difference between gross and net sales. So, Interesting. Yeah. Every month I was reporting my sales as what I thought they were, which was the gross number. I didn't subtract the uh, sales tax from the reporting that I did. And Kyle, it was so funny because I kept getting wow, your sales are up 8%. What are you doing different than everybody else? (laughs) Well, by the time I realized what I had done, I was too embarrassed to tell them. So I didn't report gross, you know. (laughs) But but anyway, grew the McDonald's, uh, had to grow their sales. So I built a Greyhound bus station on the corner of the parking lot, Uh, built two more restaurants, and as a joke, the men in my co-op advertising group put me on the bun committee. And at that began my journey of learning about international supply chain, McDonald's, flower prices in Russia, sesame seeds in Guatemala. And um, I, I just thought, gosh, this is so fantastic. I would love to be a supplier. 
So it took four years, 31 interviews. They told me no 31 times. Finally, on the 32nd time, they said, okay, okay. And I built my first bakery in Nashville, Tennessee. And today I've got about 600 employees and six locations. We do well over a hundred million in sales. And my nickname is the bun lady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so that was definitely uh, a quick intro because I know there's so much more to a lot of those stories, but you've definitely reached a place in your career. That's something to be proud of. Um, I'm sure that you can look back on all of it and appreciate the journey that brought you here. For sure. Well, so you you started with the uh, your real estate venture, but your journey in entrepreneurship actually started a lot sooner than that, didn't it? Oh well, yes, you're exactly right. Uh, in um, when I was growing up, I guess my first real business was a backyard nursery school, and every summer I would go around the neighborhood and have the children Pied Piper me back to my backyard and from nine till noon would color with the kids, play with the kids. I'd have an average of 25 children, um, ages two through five years old in my backyard. And I did that for two summers. And at the end of my second summer, unbeknownst to me, my father took the proceeds which at the time were around $55 and bought a gold Cohen. Uh, You know, it was a a $5 gold piece. And when I graduated college and was first in my family to graduate college, he presented that gold Cohen to me and it's very meaningful. Oh yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Well, so 25 kids, how on earth did you, I mean, how old did you say you were? I was 11, probably, uh, yeah, when I started 10 and a half or 11. So how did you get the 25 kids to participate? Well, I went around the neighborhood and knocked on the doors and I was already a familiar face in the neighborhood and just said, you know, I will, I'm hosting a, a backyard program. And if you've got one child, it's 25 cents, two children, 35 cents and three or more are 45 cents. And I had several families that had four kids. So <laughs> it, was, it was a bull. You know, I look back on it. In fact, it was funny with, with Facebook, the Kern family, which had all four kids do the backyard program for two full years, reached out to me. They now all live in Seattle and they were like, do you remember us? I said, of course I remember you. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's but funny. so even, I mean, as an 11 year old, you took the initiative to go out and literally go door to door and, and yeah. tell them the program you, that you had and invite them to participate. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Thank you. Well, so you, uh, graduated college, you got the gold coin from your father. I'm sure that that was a touching moment. And, and as you mentioned, something that you continue to cherish, what, uh, what precipitated the launch of your real estate company? I, I was um, living in this town of 10,000 people and working full-time in the travel industry and part-time in the real estate industry. And it just seemed like I was making a lot more money 
in real estate. And so I, I, you know, I was helping people invest and um, helping people improve their net worth. And so I, I got a bug to buy something of my own. And the firm that I work for wanted me to pay the listing and the sales commission. Uh, in other words, they were going to charge me both directions on that commission. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't a grand plan co- uh, to uh, start a real estate company. It was simply, gosh, if I have my own firm, then I don't have to pay the listing and the sales commission to somebody else for the deal that I want to do. So that that is what took me to literally barter for my office space because I didn't have. Um, any money to rent an office, $600 a month would have would have paid for the rent, but all I had was $600 and I had to buy signs and I had to buy some advertising back then. There were no cell phones. You ha- The only way to get your word out was the newspaper. So, you know, I just decided to open my own. And I will tell you that I'm still friends with the people that I work for in my first real estate company today, AC Moncrief. Um, but obviously, having my own firm and growing it from scratch was a real good lesson in in people management, in cash flow management, in bootstrapping and being resourceful, um, getting the word out in the community without spending a lot of money on advertising. I think that even in today's world, it's about personal relationships. People want to do business with people they like. So we would, you know, we would do crazy things. I'll give you one example. Um, the, The Chamber of Commerce at Russellville had a a monthly meeting. And if you were a new business in town, they would give you 30 seconds to talk about your new business. So I took uh, my team at the time, who was my doctor's wife that I was training, uh, Mm. uh, you know, uh, a a girl, Sherry Magnus, who was in her junior year of high school. She was our receptionist, 350 an hour, (laughs) part-time. And uh, a couple of others that were people that I uh, recruited to come along with me and do real estate a little bit different. And we stood before the chamber gathering, and it just so happened, as luck would have it, um, there were over 200 people at this luncheon because we, our governor was visiting, Clinton. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Funny. And so we, we what we did was a little skit where we put on straight jackets from I went and borrowed them from the nursing home. And, <laughs> and back then there was a commercial on TV that Century 21 did. They had the yellow polyester jackets and they did a, a parody. Uh, we did a parody to their song. We're taking off our jackets. We're rolling up our sleeves. We're concept one and we're here to please. We have new ideas for your real estate needs. We're not crazy, are we? And then we took off the, the crazy jackets. Well, people just thought that was hilarious. And so- I love that you still remember Oh my it. gosh, how could I forget that? We embarrass <laughs> yourself in front of the whole community. You never forget that, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's, what's interesting about your story is I had um, a guest on the last episode um, and he- was so concerned at the beginning about the appearance of success that he spent all of his money on this big office space and hired all of these employees and this big, huge sign. And he 
you know, walked around with this appearance of having a successful business, but he was losing, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Oh wow! And it and it took him four years. So he got four hundred thousand dollars into debt before he decided that he cared more about actual success than the appearance. Wow! And yet here you are, and you're just starting. And you know, use the word bootstrapping. You're starting at that place. You're saying, "I'll you know do whatever it takes." Uh, you know, with the six hundred dollars that I have, I'll rent a. a chair and a desk and all, you know, put myself out there in front of everybody. Um, and I just love that approach that from the beginning, you, you bootstrapped, you did what it took to be successful. How do you think you developed that mindset? Um, you know, I use the cliche, uh, survival is a great motivator. Um, but I do think entrepreneurs overall are very resourceful. I mean, we have to be because, you know, you're going one direction at 110 miles an hour and then a barrier comes up and you have a choice. You can figure out to, to stop or you can figure out how to go above it, around it, below it, whatever it takes. And I think that that is a common trait of entrepreneurs, just being being willing to do whatever it takes uh, to reach the goal and being tenacious about it because you can't be, um, you've got to have thick skin and you've got to be doggedly determined because there will be definitely barriers. It doesn't matter how sound your uh, business plan is, how much money you've got, what your great customer is, there's going to be a surprise. And I believe the most successful people in life are those that are willing to go, okay, yeah, this is a problem. What are we going to do about it and figure it out? Yeah. Well, and you say you talk about having a plan and there's always going to be a surprise. And I tell my team that all the time, you know, I'm, I tell them I'm a 50% guy. If I feel like it's 50% there, we should, we should start doing something because even if we think it's 90% there, once we start, there's going to be something we didn't account for and we're going to have to adjust anyway. So I'd rather just start sooner and, and start making some traction. Um, even if it's not, you know, 90% there. Exactly. Because you're going to learn from the mistakes and t from what I've seen, Typically, what you set out to do, you're going to figure out that maybe that's not what you need to be really doing anyway, but you, you, you won't figure it out unless you're in motion trying to, uh, you know, trying to make something happen. Yeah, absolutely. So how did it feel? I mean, what were the emotions? What were you experiencing when you're sitting here and you have $600 in your savings and, it, it, you know, you're shelling out that money? to something that's a risk and that doesn't have a guaranteed return. How did you deal with and what were you experiencing in those moments? Well, it was a day-to-day -day thing because in my mind, I won already because by, by starting the firm, I was able to save $1,200 in real estate fees that would have been paid to my previous employer. You, you understand? So by buying mm -hmm. the listing and selling it myself, that was the first deal. And I, I, you know, and so I was cash flow ahead. If the business didn't go anywhere, I was still cash flow ahead. So my, I guess that I never thought about failing. It was, it was simply one day at a time. I, I never felt scared until I got into a situation in business later in my life when I borrowed a lot of money and I didn't, wasn't sure it was going to cash flow. 
And that was scary. If you owe somebody something, uh, that puts more pressure on you than your personal um, image or, you know, I could have... I could yep. have lived with the personal failure, but I couldn't live with not being able to pay somebody back that I owed money to. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to the point that you just made that, you know, sometimes survival is the biggest motivator, that that anxiety and, and stress of owing somebody and the risk of not being able to, um, you know, pay it back. All of that is a great motivator to be creative and, and resourceful and, you know, really push forward. Yeah. I, I, I think that having a lot of money isn't always the best. I mean, sure, it's a lot more comfortable, but, I, you know, if you've got a ton of money behind your project, you don't have to be near as resourceful as if you don't have the money behind your project. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I, I just read not that long ago, there was a study that came out that actually showed that when people's choices were limited, that they actually were more creative. So they used, you know, most of these studies, they use college students and they have these two different groups. And one of them kind of has this open canvas where they can do whatever they want. And the other group has some limitations that, that uh, create barriers to what they can do. And they find that when there are limitations and barriers that people actually become more creative. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's more articulate than what I said, but I, I totally agree with that. Well, so here you are, you're running your real estate company and then you uh, you said you sold a, a house to someone who owned the McDonald's, right? Yeah, the Foyer Hunt family came to town and it just so happened they were, um, uh, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know you could buy a McDonald's. You know, back then, um, it was a pleasure and a treat to go eat at McDonald's. Growing up, that was sort of a big deal for our family. And so when they came to town and I got a chance to work with them on buying a house, I really liked them. And they were great people. And I, we became friends. We'd boat together. We'd swim together. And sitting in a hot tub one night, they said, you work really hard. Have you ever thought about buying a McDonald's? And I'm like, oh, holy cow, no, had never thought about that, but tell me more. And they talked about the registered applicant program, which is once you've applied and been accepted into the program, you literally work for free in the restaurants learning the business. And then you're given a chance to buy a McDonald's. And, you know, have you ever worked in the real estate business, Kyle? I have okay, not. I have the greatest respect for realtors. But honestly, their family life, their home life is, um, you know, it's nights and weekends when families are available to look at real estate. So as a young, as a mother of young children, and mine at the time were like one, three, and five, I think, Um you know, I was I, I wanted to be around when they weren't in daycare. And so I uh, thought, gosh, I look at my friends. They they spend a lot of time with their family on the weekend. And, you know, it just but I will say it was a mirage. Everything looks the grass is always greener <laughs> because yeah. I quickly learned that being in the restaurant business was, in fact, a 24 hour uh, deal. It was not off on the weekends and off at nights. But it, it, that was my motivator was to spend more time with my kids. So I looked into the program, applied, and uh, was fortunate enough to be selected to go through the training. 
And when I got through the training, I was offered stores in different parts of the U.S. I thought I would get to stay in Arkansas, which I would have been very happy to do. But McDonald's picks where you go. And I ultimately ended up in Effingham, Illinois. Huh. You know, what's what's interesting, you talk about the grass being greener on the other side. You know, I started my first company. Um, well, so I spent a lot of time growing up on our family's farm in Wyoming. And that, that is, you know, this 24 seven job. It's not something you get to take vacations from. It's not something you get to, you know, slough off the work or anything like that. Um, and so I watched that happen and decided pretty young that that wasn't the life I wanted. I wanted to be able to have weekends and time off and those kind of things. Uh, and the funny thing is I thought that being a business owner was the way to do that, to, to get away from that 24 seven. Uh, so I started this carpet cleaning business and discovered, you know, shortly after starting it, that I just became a farmer. I mean, in essence, I was doing the same thing. I 24 seven, you know, there wasn't any turning it off. Right. And, and did you do that in Wyoming or where did you do it? Yeah, I did it in Wyoming. Wow. And and it's the employees too, because you know you're dependable, but are your employees dependable? And that's hard. What, right. Yeah. Well, and you're having to constantly adjust and, and adapt because, you know, somebody's calling in or somebody's, you know, done something that they shouldn't have done, all of those things. You know, my wife will tell you that even on our honeymoon, I was working, you know, two of the days on our honeymoon because that's just the way that it was. I, I totally understand that. And I totally agree. And, and, and that is, uh, that's fun to hear it from a guy's perspective because it, it's so true. Owning your own business, it's all consuming. You've got not only yourself to take care of, but you've got the people working for you that you're, you're worried about making sure they're going to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so here you are. You got into the system. You have this McDonald's in uh, Effingham, Illinois. And how are things going once you have it? <laughs> well, the man that I bought the McDonald's, by the way, along the way, I divorced. And um, so I'm by myself in Effingham and have um, bought the restaurant from a very lovely Catholic gentleman that had eight kids. The store manager, the supervisor, the first assistant, the second the day that i got the keys their entire family left and it was me and terry and mary and mary still had two teeth left in in the top of her mouth uh mary nor i had ever done a deposit to the bank or a schedule or any of the key things you need to do so it was a little rough from the beginning (laughs) yeah and um you know, that was that was an, a real eye opener um, because all of a sudden I had invested everything, my entire life savings. Plus, I had debt because by then my little five hundred dollars had grown into about two hundred fifty thousand. I borrowed another two hundred thousand on a sign on a, a signature loan from a banker in Arkansas. And then I um got a loan for one point, let's see, 
I want to say it was 1.25 million. I, I don't remember the exact loan amount, but it was 27,000 a month. And I'm positive about that because all I could think about is how am I going to pay that $27,000 a month back? And, um, it was night and day, night and day, and figuring out how to order, figuring out how to do all of the details, training people, hiring people, and taking care of my kids. And I, I had to live in a rent house because I didn't have any additional money to buy a house. So I had one of those rent houses. Uh, tell me if you've ever lived in a place like this, Kyle. But when you flush the toilet, the cold water goes out. So if the mom's in the shower when the boys flush the toilet, <laughs> mom gets scalded and screams, which they think is hilarious. So it yeah. was constantly, yeah. you know, one surprise after the other living in this um, this older, unappealing rent house. But um, after the first year, uh, things started getting better, getting, you know, getting good people, training them, taking care of them appreciating them. I started to build a foundation of support, um, which started making the restaurants really work. You know, we cared deeply about the customer um, getting a great product and getting it quickly. I, I applied all of the training I knew and tried to teach everybody else along the way. And I will tell you that I'm very proud that um, as of today, I've had 17 former employees become owner operators and, sub yeah, and oh, really? subsequently uh, millionaires because um, I took care of them. I helped them learn the business and I motivated them and, you know, taught them like me, you know, I, if I could do it, you can do it. And so I'm very grateful to have had that positive uh, opportunity to impact those families. Absolutely. That is such a fantastic statistic to be able to share that that many people have been able to, you know, rise up and, and be in your position because of that influence. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful to McDonald's for giving us all that opportunity because it, it, it is, it is a blessing. And anytime somebody gives you a chance to serve them and grow with them and continue to serve them. I mean, we as entrepreneurs, that's what we, th we thrive on is taking care of people. And, and I, I believe it's a blessing. Uh, I, I agree with you. I tell my employees all the time, you know, a lot of times as a leader, you make decisions that not everybody can see the end road right. to. Um, and I constantly reinforce that my number one priority is to make sure that they have a healthy and stable environment that they can work in. And so if I'm making any decision that they don't understand, it is with that sole purpose in mind that I want you to have your job and the health of the business and a place that you can you know, be happy coming into work at in six months, 12 months, 24 months. Uh, and so those decisions are leading to that Goal. Yeah. And, and sometimes people are short sighted about it or even selfish about it. They want something. They want you to give them a, a pay raise that throws the balance off or they want to have a rule change that might change the perception of the company. And you've got to keep that end goal in mind. Otherwise, they won't have a job and they won't have the opportunity. 
Right. You know what, what I also love about your McDonald's experience is I think so many people would assume, man, once you've bought a McDonald's, you are set. Like your life has to be wonderful once you've got a McDonald's. I mean, they just rake in the money and life has to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And you've, you've got 16 and 17 year old people running your multi-million dollar restaurant that think prom's a lot more important than showing up to open the restaurant the day after prom. So, it isn't, it isn't it isn't a beautiful story always or let me rather say not every meal is a happy meal <laughs> i like that well so you you make some progress on the restaurant um but at, at some point you're you need more. You, your business still needs to be more successful. You need to find a, a way of bringing in customers. And so uh, I remember in one of our conversations, you said one of the first things that you tried was um, some CB radios. Yeah. yeah. So being on the interstate 57 and 70, we had tons of traffic going down the interstate. And this is before cell phones. And so we would get on the CB radio and do the Hey, good buddy, if you're traveling down 57 or 70, come on in to McDonald's of Effingham. If you're driving a bus, bus drivers eat free. And we started getting buses coming in, which led to the idea of buying the Greyhound bus franchise in town and building it on the corner of my parking lot. And Kyle, that one decision was probably one of the greatest decisions I made because in the winter, we would have 88 buses a day, and in the summer, we'd have 120-plus buses a day that would come in, offload, get food, get back on the bus, and leave. And our sales grew to one of the top 40 uh, sales in the U.S., which is huge from a restaurant perspective. It, was, um, it helped me get that $27,000 a month payment paid. Well, and just to be clear for the readers, I mean, you literally, you know, we talk about sometimes we say cliches like, well, if I could just bring them in by the bus load, but you literally went and bought a bus franchise. You put the stop in the parking lot next to your McDonald's franchise. Correct. That's correct. And so I, I, I just think that I, I just think that's got to be one of the most brilliant business decisions I've ever heard well, somebody make. you know, I, I can say it wasn't very popular with the community. They were really afraid of the clientele, but we we really beefed up the service so that if you came in on a bus, we almost had some fast track lanes and we were pretty fast anyway, but uh, the community finally accepted the fact that, um, you know, the, I, I was creating more jobs I raised everybody's pay in the restaurant a dollar an hour, which was contrary to the coaching we had received, but it created longevity because then became one of the better jobs in our community. So it it was truly um, the community taking care of these guests that were passing through our town. And um, it it they still do it today. I, I obviously don't still own that restaurant, but it's been a good long term move. Well, and that part of the story that you just shared is really interesting because it, just like the idea that once you have a McDonald's franchise, you know, all your problems are solved. The idea that once you make this brilliant business decision, all of your problems are solved, where you still had pushback and you still had to adjust and adapt. I mean, you talk about 
you know, ultimately at a McDonald's, what you want is traffic and now you've got traffic, but if you've got so much traffic, now you have new challenges uh, to try exactly. to solve for. Exactly. And, and, and I think that any entrepreneur understands that, you know, you get a, a, a windfall of new business. Well, that's, that you can be excited for about five minutes and then it's all about execution. And this morning I was on the phone with a friend that's built manufacturing plants to do meat. And he's so excited because his business grew 400% last year. And he's so devastated because he can't get the infrastructure built, the people trained, the packaging done. He's blowing through cash. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole different set of problems. So, a leader mm, yeah. is really a problem solver and a prioritizer, a person that sets the direction for the business, keeps the hope up, and keeps the focus on the imminent and immediate problems. Yeah. Well, and that five minutes that you just shared about, um, you know, you, you make this great decision, you kind of relish in it for five minutes, and then you got to get back to work. Uh, one of the past participants on the podcast. His name is Wilfred Emanuel Jones. Um, and he, he owns a brand called the black farmer out of the UK where they, uh, sell in grocery stores and whatnot, but it took him over 30 years to accomplish his goal of owning a farm in the UK, which was really difficult because he, he was an immigrant. He's African-American. He didn't get to, you know, wasn't handed down to him through family. He had to acquire and earn a lot of money over 30 years to be able to do it. And I asked him about what that moment was like when he finally, you know, after 30 years of this ambition finally had his farm. And he said, well, you know, I went out and I stood on the property and I relished in it and it lasted about five minutes. And then I just had to go back to work. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot more uh, sexy and fun or, or dreaming about it or talking about it over a cocktail than, than it is actually doing all the work that it takes to execute. And, um, and, and, and so many people see entrepreneurs or people they think are successful on game day, and they don't really realize all the nights and weekends and details that have gone into uh, their appearance of success. Yeah. Well, and somebody recently tweeted Elon Musk, um, you know, who owns Tesla and, and several others, uh, what it was like to be an entrepreneur. And his tweet was really short. He said, it's uh, unrelenting stress with incredible lows and uh, some incredible highs. Oh boy, I love that quote. I'll use that again. That's great. Well, and, and you had a lot of those, right? I mean, so yeah, I've had a lot of those. in those moments, <laughs> Well, and in those moments when you're when you are uncertain about your business, you have this twenty seven thousand dollars that you have to pay every month. Um, you're you're stressed. You know, half the employees left when the ownership transition happened. What were the emotions that you were experiencing? Well, honestly, I cried myself to sleep for the for the better part of the first year because I was lonely. I was living in a town where I didn't know no people or didn't have history with those people. I was living in a hard, hard to live in rent house and uh, my feet were hurting all the time. I was tired and exhausted. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to watch myself go bankrupt in slow motion because that's really what it felt like. Shortly after I closed on my restaurants, uh, they had a meeting 
McDonald's invited all of the owner operators to come to Oak Brook. And they said, you know, we're experiencing a decrease in customer count and sales, and we need for you all to implement what is going to be called a value meal. And so driving home that three and a half hours from Chicago, I cried the whole way because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this $27,000 a month payment and what customers used to pay $650 for, they're now going to pay $399. How am I going to do this? What's going to happen? You know, and, and, and it was, it was so scary. And then um, like a month or so later, the, uh, we had a little short war I, um, where everybody tied the yellow ribbon around the trees. And um, I thought, oh, great. You know, well, you know, if I go broke, at least I'll have a lot of food my kids could eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, you know, I couldn't balance the, the I wasn't mature enough at that point to balance that this is an obstacle we'll get through. All I could think of was just doomsday. And, and so when I deal with entrepreneurs that are fairly new into the venture, part of what I like to remind them is this is just part of your story. You're going to get through this. It's not going to be fun and easy or pretty, but you will get through this. Let's look what it can be on the other side. Because at that time, I had nobody saying to me, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And yes, this war will end and the value meals will drive more customers. You know, all I could see is all of a sudden, three months into owning a restaurant, I was going to be selling food for almost half what it was being sold for when I bought the restaurant. How was I going to cash flow? Yeah. It reminds me of uh, a quote I heard once and it said, you should appreciate the old folks because they give you a sure knowledge that things can be endured. Oh, that's a good quote too. Uh, and it just, it, you know, I think about when I'm facing those same kind of moments, right? Life is stressful as a business owner and um, as a CEO and as a family man and all of those things. Uh, it's stressful. And, and I think about that in those moments. I think about, you know, for, for me, I think about my grandfather and I think, man, how many how many years on the farm did he have where – he didn't know, you know, crops were destroyed and he didn't know where the next, you know, meal was going to come from. My, my mom talks about, you know, experiences on their farm where for toilet paper, they had just old oh. Sears catalogs because they didn't no, have that, anything, that, you know. That, I, I think being a farmer is really the ultimate entrepreneur because you have no control over the weather and you've got to live with the consequences. And I cannot imagine being so poor that you have um, – a magazine for your toilet paper, but I'm sure that, you know, that was part of being resourceful. That's part of how, what they had to do to make ends meet. And it had to be tough on her. Great, great learning. Well, and it just, it just makes me think, you know, I look at it, he just passed away recently, but I looked at him, you know, when he was in his late seventies and I thought, and I just, when I was feeling stressful and uncertain, I just think, man, you know, he made it his entire life on that farm through years and years of uncertainty and difficulty and, and not knowing, you know, where crops were going to be at and where prices were going to be at. And he did it and he survived and he, you know, had a wonderful life. If he can do it for, you know, 70 years, I can do it for at least the next, you know, 12 months or whatever it happens to be. So it just is a good reminder that, you know, those, everybody who's at that point has experienced those trials and hardships and uncertainties. Um, and they, yeah. And I think that goes back to the point you made earlier, Kyle, which is our 
challenges can be our best learning and really ultimately our biggest help. Um, and giving, like, even if we relate this to parenting, giving your kids everything they could possibly want or need isn't what's best for them. Just like giving an entrepreneur all the money in the world they need is probably not the best uh, choice for them either in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you finally get the McDonald's to where it's in, you know, the top 40 restaurants, things are starting to look pretty good. And, and then you talked about, you got on the bun committee. Um, and uh, what I want to hear about are these 30 meetings that you had trying to convince McDonald's that you could, that you could do the production side. um, Um, Okay, so the meetings were with different people, and they were some key suppliers in the in the McDonald's system that had been suppliers since Ray Kroc, the beginning, and um, some were in Oak Brook at the corporate office. And every time it was um, letting him know my passion and desire to serve. And the, the good thing I had going for me was I was considered a diversity candidate. The bad thing I had going for me was that I'd never worked in a bakery, a manufacturing plant, didn't have anything to do with distribution, didn't have any technical skills at all. So thankfully, McDonald's recognized that if I understood McDonald's and the heart that they had to serve and the heart for quality, that I could be trained the technical things. I ultimately was picked in June of 96 to be the candidate and the partner. And I um, went to Oak Brook and they were going to impact and take sales away from two bakeries. And those two bakery owners became my partner in the new bakery. And the goal was that they would remain partners for three years while I learned the business. And then they would exit on a pre-agreed to multiple. And in that meeting, they said, you know, we want Cordia, you to own a third, uh, this other company, the other company to each own a third. And they wanted us to exit at after 10 years and, Thankfully, my CPA was in the room at the time, and he said, now, boys, do you expect her to live on that, which was, you know, a third of the income from the bakery? And, you know, before we left the room, I was able to buy them out in three years. I owned 51% and um, was, was thankfully ready to go build a bakery. Back in that day, and even today, McDonald's does not give a contract. They give a handshake. So earning that handshake was about earning trust. It was about proving integrity. It was about knowing that they had a partner that wasn't going to give up when the times got rough. And so I, um, thankfully, the banks knew how McDonald's track record. And I had bankers calling me. I would get off the phone and just laugh because, you know, the boatman's bank would call and say, you know, we want to give you $15 million for this project and blah, 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 blah. And I'd go, this is crazy. These people have no contract and they're loaning me all this money. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it was it was quite a quite an experience. 
Well, and, and you've continued to have uh, challenges to work through. I mean, it, it, the kind of theme here has been that regardless of how successful the business is, there's always going to be challenges to work through. And I remember in one of our conversations, you talked about a, a big equ- yes. equipment collapse. Yes, because, um, you know, we, we had started up a plant, uh, brand new equipment to serve 11 distribution centers. Uh, about a third of the United States for a new rollout for McDonald's. And uh, five o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call and um, they said that the cooling towers had collapsed. And this was a $3.5 million piece of equipment, brand new. And they had, they had, no. uh, the supplier had taken a shortcut on the legs and used steel legs that had seams in them. Now, I find this out like a year later, but um, thankfully nobody was hurt. Uh, but I had jet planes in the air bringing product from all over. I, I It cost well over a million dollars of out-of-pocket money um, to try to keep product going to the market that needed to go. And, and then years to repair uh, our reputation because you don't break supply chain for anybody, especially me. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah. But just like everything, um, you know, it took some resourcefulness and, and some time and well, effort and I, you worked through you. it. We, we, I, I don't ever feel like you ever get through something like that. I still, you know, over double check everything. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've learned a lot from that. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. Well, so what's next for Cordia Harrington? Well, where are you I'll tell you next? where I was last week, Kyle, because I don't think I've mentioned this to you. Um, we just opened a bakery in Guatemala. And, yeah, and our oh, wow. mission in this business is to create opportunities, make a difference, and impact lives. CMI, create opportunities, make a difference, and impact lives. And so... The Guatemala venture is a joint venture where we we own 51% with a local Guatemala gentleman. And we believe, uh, we know we're going to be able to change lives down there by the jobs we've created and the pay we're willing to pay and um, the nutrition that we're going to offer to that country. The, um, The bakery will serve four countries in Central America and as I said, I went down for the blessing of the business last week and very excited about it. That is exciting. That's so neat. I love hearing that. It so is. that's just it getting is. off the ground, we're, huh? We're, all the equipment's there. The building's done. Ribbon's cut. And and uh, we'll have our first P&L on the 15th. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, is this the first international well, we have, uh, endeavor we have with been your bakery? Serving internationally for about eighteen years, but we've never built a plant internationally. So, yes, this is a dream and uh, a dream come true because I love serving people that are trying to better their own lives, and you see that spark in their eyes down there, and they're so grateful for the jobs and. We know we can make a difference, which which will be a blessing. That is really neat, and I think that that's a great place to uh, to wrap up uh, on a high note and um, a great looking future for that business and your businesses and yourself personally. 
Um, is there anything that, uh, that you would want people to know about you or any ways to connect with you or anything about your endeavors moving forward that you'd want to share with the audience before we, I think the only thing uh, I've left out of this interview is that, you know, by the grace of God, we've had these, this journey and that I'm a, a person of deep faith and prayer has really helped when, uh, in, in every situation, the highs and the lows, and that I, I think that each entrepreneur has within them that spark, that drive. And, and I encourage the listeners to be the best, be the person that God wants you to be. And if you got that drive somehow, I believe it came from God, go for it. Don't hold back. Give it everything you've got. And I'm sure you'll have... Um, a wildly successful business. Just follow your instincts and go for it. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Cordia, for sharing your story, your experience, your faith with us. Um, we really appreciate Thanks, you Kyle. being on the podcast today. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Absolutely. Bye.